From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. You're with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, uh, one of my favorite bands of all time was Joan Jett and the Black Hearts. I love rock and roll. Put another dime in the jukebox, baby. Um, you know, I grew up, I'm born in 1971, so that music just landed uh, right at the right time. Roller cades, roller rinks, and Joan Jett. It, it's amazing stuff. I listened to some of it today, and it has this seedy magic that's uh, incredible. And a lot of it is down to there's a sort of Mick and Keith situation going on between Joan Jett and my next guest, Ricky Bird, is a rock and roll guitar player, singer, songwriter, and producer. He is best known for being a former member of Joan Jett and the Black Hearts, a band that was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2015. His speech, by the way, uh, I recommend it. Look it up. It's one of the best rock and roll uh, induction speeches ever. He is also a recovery troubadour and a keynote speaker who uses music and his personal story to inspire people struggling with addiction. He has released four solo albums, the latest being Sobering Times in 2020. He has also performed or collaborated with many famous artists, including Roger Daltrey, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, Bruce Springsteen, and Stevie Wonder. He is here with us now. Ricky Bird, thank you for coming on. How are you? Thanks for asking me. I'm doing good, man. It's Saturday. Are we live? Yeah, we're live. Okay, it's Saturday. <laughs> Saturday night in in New York. You're in. Well, you Queens, know, you know, wanna, yeah. Some of those old TV shows, like Carson and stuff, like you, they, they they wouldn't want you to say the real time because it was always taped a day or so before, you know. No, this goes sure. out live. But this is an Australian station, so we're we're in we're live here in America on a Saturday right. night, whereas we're being listened to by our our Australian base, and for them, this is their Sunday morning Sunday some sort of afternoon sort of vibe this is them oh, good. having a Ask nice them, what, what do i have to look tea. what do i have to look forward to tomorrow morning <laughs> <laughs> what's the future hold <laughs> what's um, the future hold yeah man i love so australia just, man yeah have you been there a bunch yeah we, i went with joan we toured there a couple of times it was uh, quite an experience oh by the way ge smith says hello I was just I love G.E. Smith. Yeah, I just I saw that you you did some interview where he gave you or you bought from him or he gave you like an old strat and you sort of lost it along the way. It was one of these shows about what do you hate that you've lost or something like that, oh. or what breaks your heart that you've lost. No, he gave me the strat. I, I wound up buying uh the blue sparkle Les Paul that I used and hate myself for loving you in that video. Uh, but he gave me that strat and, you know, being like all musicians, I wasn't good with uh, money and taxes. So uh, at some point back around 83-ish, I think I had to uh, disengage from that guitar, which I every time I see a picture of it, I'm going, oh, my God. But what are you going to do? Yeah, and we just did a gig together at City Winery with a bunch of luminaries in the music business. Uh, Kate Pearson from the B-52s, mm. our friend Rich Pagano, um, and uh, several other people. Uh, Willie Nile. 
Willie Nile. You gotta love Willie Nile. In fact, I gotta get him on this show. I forgot he said he would come on. I'm gonna I'm gonna call him up. Um, yeah, it was amazing. And there was that moment backstage where you were singing blues with uh Yorma and uh Jimmy Vavino from Conan's band and and uh a bunch of us. I was sitting on a well, refrigerator. From, from the Loving Spoonful of uh what's the name from the Loving Spoonful? Yorma. No, no, that's from the Jefferson Airplane. Oh. Oh, um, right. The Loving Spoonful guy, too. What's his name? Oh I my forget. God, my brain is fried tonight. <laughs> in a good way. In that's a natural way. In a good way. Right, because you're that a big was sober a great, guy. That was a great night. I did it uh, I did it last year. Yeah, I've been, I've been in recovery 36 years now. So uh, Rich called and asked if I would partake. And I said, yeah, yeah. And I, and I opened the show both years. And... Um, and also, because as time moves on, you know, you, you do less and less stuff where you're out and about. So, like, I enjoy the hang, right? Uh, and so backstage, there was a wonderful hang. And it was a recovery show. It was a benefit. Um, and uh, for the LGBTQ uh, in, in recovery, uh, for, you know, I guess to raise money for scholarships to get people into treatment. And... Um, well, the first thing was Yorma, right? <laughs> I mean, I never thought in a million years I would I'd hang out with Yorma from the Jefferson Airplane, which, I mean, that vinyl was in my collection when I was a kid, Volunteers of America, and got to do White Rabbit with him, you know? And uh, he was a sweetheart guy, and uh, the jam you were talking about that we still talk about, because I've, I've now, like, Yorma's my pal, so we talk. It was, I walked in the room and Yorma was sitting there with his acoustic with a thumb pick on and he was kind of picking blues. And Jimmy Vivino was playing my J200, my red J200. And I said, uh, can I have that? He gives me the guitar and I, was, I start fooling around. So Jimmy picked up, I think it was like a Mando guitar or something like, something like that, you know. John Sebastian from Love and Spoonful. And he had, mm -hmm. a, he had a briefcase full of harps of all different keys. So I was just going from one song to another, you know, like Muddy Waters and, you know, I think we might have done some Elvis and all kinds of stuff. And I looked at Yorma and he had this big smile on his face. And then all of a sudden at the door, which is when you came in, you sat on a file cabinet and you were keeping the beat on the file cabinet, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. It was a refrigerator, a little was refrigerator. It refrigerator? And I was using it like, you know, one of those box drum yeah, yeah. things, just kick, exactly. making a kick. <laughs> like, you yeah, know. yeah. But then I looked up and there were like 15 people by the door and everybody was singing along. Like Steve Conti came in and Willie Nile came in and whoever was out there, everybody started singing and playing, clapping their hands and stuff. And, and, and Yorma said to me afterwards, he said, dude, like that never happens anymore. That was like backstage at the Fillmore. And I'm like, yeah, that was a trip, man. Right. That was like really cool. It was unbelievable, man. And it's like kind of like one of those things where you're watching it and you're like, am I allowed to be here? I don't know. It's like one of those things. And it was organic. It was. It was. Yeah. Nothing, nothing planned. We just started, you know, playing. What What do you think makes something magical like that happen? And even then taking it back to your band, Joan Jett and the Black Hearts, like that as well on a different level like what I was saying in the intro, it contains a magic because 
the sum of its parts are much more than sort of the simplicity of what it is. You know what I mean? And same thing with yeah, that jam. It's like, what, what's, what do you think? How do you think you have been able to cultivate that spirit around you? I guess. Well, I'm that kind of guy. Like I'm, I never say no when somebody says, Hey man, you want to come up and join us and play a few songs? You know, uh, I know some people uh, don't like to do that, but I enjoy, um, spontaneity and um i get to do a lot of um really great stuff like i was going to say to you you know to this point with some of the people you met, met mentioned that i've played with the list is pretty phenomenal like mavis staples brian wilson but it's not like i was in bands with them you know i i at a certain point i started to get asked to do events and be in the all-star band like they had a band that night right and, and um and it's usually it's like me and and it's always liberty devito from billy joel's band you should get him he's funny as hell i could get him mm -hmm. for the show he, he'd, he'd love to do that All um right. and uh, uh uh jeff carlisi from 38 special i mean we were like a crew you know and we would do all of these events for it went on for like eight ten years and then if somebody couldn't make it like uh, will lee would be the bass player if he couldn't make it uh, jeff adams who plays with uh, starship would do it and we just keep switching off but so it would be like a night a lot of them we did at the rock hall so the way it worked is when the the ceremony the actual rock hall ceremony was in new york when they had it in new york i mean i think they do it was every other year or something mm -hmm. um what they had in cleveland was an event to raise money for music in schools and it was at the convention center where where i was part of that induction a very famous place big place the who played there i believe the beatles played there if i'm not mistaken just a really great big big room and and great sounding for a big room but it would be we would be the all-star band and we would in one night it would be like we'd be backing up like eddie money uh um, uh mavis staples you know i mean it just just went on and on there was just people from all genres of music tone loke one night we were backing them up so so the list of people that i've played with i was in a band with joan and the blackhearts before that i was in a band uh called susan we were on rca um, which is where i met g smith see because we were managed by tommy matola he was with hall and oates i was with susan and when he left hall and oates and susan did one album on rca and we broke up i did a tour with ge for his record uh that was my first national tour it's all connected baby you know that's amazing yeah i i just produced taylor's uh ep with, with ge on it and so it was like they would oh, just great. send me tracks and i would mix and work on it and record it i'm in tempe arizona now not oh, in cool. new york anymore yeah and uh it's just it was like taking candy from a baby because ge smith is all over it all you had to do was turn up his guitars <laughs> yeah yeah like... no ge's great man he's a great guitar player and and he knows i mean the difference between me and ge is i am completely not interested in what tuning pegs i got on my 70 telecaster you know ge knows like all that stuff like when all you talk about vintage guitars he knows about the bridge and this one came from this thing and it's like I have mm -hmm. no, I, I just pick up a guitar. It either feels like it's my guitar or it doesn't. But, but getting back to what you were saying, I think the, um, the thing that, uh, for me personally, I, like I said, I enjoy getting up with different people and playing. 
uh, and being challenged. And, and those events I mentioned was a great, it took my guitar playing to a different level, right? Because I was out with Joan for 10, 11 years. Then I did a record with Roger Daltrey uh, and we did a radio tour. And then I went out with Ian Hunter and we did a European, That's like a, it is insane, Scandinavian so, but, tour. But this, like, why do you exude rock and roll? It's more than just sunglasses and the hair and all this other thing. Like you, like, how have you, what I'm trying to say is how do you cultivate I know it's like a nameless thing, but I think it's fun to try to assess it when I have no, it, someone. It, it actually, it is all, it is sunglasses and hair. It's all that. <laughs> well, no, sun, dude, sunglasses and hair matter. <laughs> like, don't no, get uh, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you the <laughs> truth. Here's a little bird secret. <laughs> okay. I always, I always wear these glasses. I mean, I'm wearing contacts now, but when I take them out, I have, I have prescription sunglasses and I always wear them on stage and I'll tell you why. Because, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm getting sensitive to the lights. And, and even like driving at night, like the, the lights coming at me, um, my eyes are sensitive to that. But it's not vanity. It's, uh, maybe it's a little bit vanity. But because we're in the age of everybody's got their phone and everybody's right. taking pictures of every move you make on stage, when I wear shades, I always look the same. See, right. there's no weird thing where I'm cross-eyed in a picture or I'm looking over there <laughs> and I'm looking over there. So I just wear it for consistency, really. And my hair is my hair. I mean, it's it's always been like this. I mean, I used to take pictures of um, how did this? How did it, How did I get this rock and roll? I don't know. It's a it's a very interesting question. Nobody's asked me. I mean, I could tell you one thing for sure, and it, and it may have something to do with you know my addictive thing that I went through in, in that business. When I saw the, uh, and, I, and I said this in the speech at the Rock Hall too, when I saw the Stones, I, when I saw the Beatles uh, in 66, was it 60? No, 65, I was nine years old. And um, I saw them uh, on the Ed Sullivan show. And, mm -hmm. you know, I don't yeah, have to explain Stones. what that is to everybody. Nah. So I, I love the Beatles, right? And you know, like everybody, there's always that thing, you're either a Beatles fan or a Stones fan. When, when I was a kid, um, and I was both, but, but I saw the Beatles and, and, you know, I came from a family where there was always music playing in the house. And when my parents got divorced, we looked at my grandparents and there was always Sinatra and Jerry Vale and Dean Martin and, you know, World War II music. And when you saw the Beatles on TV, see, I'm nine years old and I was like, what, you know, what's this all about? You know? And I always, and I felt different when I was a little kid, I was very shy and quiet, see, um, so I see the Beatles and I'm like, okay. And I asked my mom uh, for a guitar and, you know, I don't know, I don't remember the timeline, but her boss for my birthday gave her to give to me this acoustic, no name guitar, which is now mm. at the rock hall, which is really cool. That's amazing. By the way, that yeah, I say, I saved it all these years. Listen, when you said that on your uh, induction speech, that was a, that was a boom type of moment <laughs> because it's like, dude, that is just everyone can relate to that like a little cheap acoustic guitar that was yeah, yeah. a kid's boyhood dream and then it go you took it all the way to that place that's awesome i saved it all these years and frankly see i'm in my basement here which is you know a little studio and my got my stuff here this was flooded out in hurricane sandy to like the mm. main floor like we lost everything luckily i got all my guitar well we knew it was he heading our way 
we grabbed my guitars and got upstairs. Lost like an amp or two. That guitar was down here, and the top started to peel off. And I thought it gave it personality. See, I said, it looks like Pete Townsend had this guitar now. You know, like there was like, mm. it was half the guitar was peeled off. So I gave it to the rock hall just like that. And, um, but so, so anyway, so, so I, I got the guitar and you ask, how did I get like this? Okay. So I believe that everybody has something special that they can do. We're probably all given something. Now there's a lot of distractions in life, right? You go mm. off in another direction. People get married early. They work jobs they don't want to work in. Well, they do this instead of doing that. But, you know, there were people that could open a, a car hood and, and take apart an engine. I don't know the first thing about that. People that could go in the kitchen, dude, and cook like, you know, a five-course meal, right? I have no interest in that. But I was able to pick songs off the radio. Not well, but I was, you know, I was just a little kid, 10, 9, 10 years old. I could pick songs off the radio, like notes. I didn't know how to play chords yet. I probably just got a, a Mel Bay book. Mel Bay was the, the instructional book that we all had when we were kids, if you were learning the guitar. Um, and I remember I was in, I lived in the Bronx. I grew up in the Bronx. And um, I remember show and tell one year. I, I might have been a little, I mean, I, you could do the timeline by figuring out when the song came out, but I learned Happy Together by the Turtles. And I sang it in front of my class. And, and if you listen to the song, now, once again, I probably was awful, but, but what I did pick up on the radio was down, 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 single notes. And I could mm -hmm. pick, it, pick it off. And I started singing with it. And I, I was singing it in front, of, in front of the class, PS 73 in the Bronx, right? So that's mm. where that's, that, that started from, where, where I, I found that I enjoyed being in front of people. See, now comes the next group that I see on Ed Sullivan's show, and that's the Rolling Stones. And they, more than the Beatles, did I connect with emotionally. There was something in that visual that I felt, like, like I said, and again, I, I refer back to the speech because I wrote it to, to explain this. They looked like I felt, see, they looked a little mm. left of center, like Keith looked little scrappy, you know, they just looked like their shirt was untucked and they were just, you know, completely different from the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. And I was very attracted to something, something there. A couple of years later, when I saw the famous BBC, I think it was, video of them doing Jumping Jack Flash when, when the lights are all somewhat like your background. And they had face paint on, like Jagger had like freaking, and I yeah. just went, my brain just went, oh yeah, I want that. <laughs> you know? I should have worn face paint. Let me cut you off real quick and go to a quick break. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. TNT's Darren Denslow. And another reason that the BBC get claimed was TB. It's the badgers. That's why farmers are protesting across Europe. And now the fishermen and the firemen and everybody else seems to be jumping on board uh, of this Europe-wide protest. Uh, but here, the BBC are saying it's all to do with tuberculosis and badgers. Uh, quite interesting, uh, but there were a whole uh, tirade 
of farmer stories that have been published by the BBC over the weekend uh, when they had actually been remaining silent uh, for the last ooh, six weeks. In fact, it goes back into 2023 when the Dutch originally came out to protest. Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. One reason people tune in to TNT Radio is often because they're loyal to a specific show or personality. Our personalities have been a part of people's daily routine and people continue to tune in. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. You are about to to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. Back with Ricky Bird. So today, or four days ago, Ricky, I quit Zen nicotine, uh, what do you call them, pouches and coffee. Crazy. Those are my last two physical, like physical substantive addictions or substantive addictions and and i was like thinking about addiction i wrote about addiction today and thinking about like when i first got into this sort of program if you're even allowed to say that on radio i'm unclear because everyone always russell brand always talks about being in the program so i guess you're allowed to i don't know but i started going to the program when i was still 20 years old before i even was legal drinking age and it became a huge part of my identity and even like identifying as an addict and an alcoholic and all that kind of stuff. It almost felt like I was in this in group where I just had a Dungeons and Dragons guy on before and I was talking about tribes and that was my tribe. I'm an addict. But I'm thinking of like this day and age and you started alluding to it earlier about how so many distractions are around us now. The idea that even everyone's an addict if you're either an ad, if you're not an addict to like drinking and drugging and you know stuff like that, then you're addicted to scrolling on your phone or right. watching TV, or it could even be thought-based addiction. Like the final addiction is addiction to seeking God, and then that's the obliteration of all addictions, I think. But well, I'm addiction- finding e- even like with coffee and Zen, getting rid of those, which are supposedly the good addictions that are good for productivity and stuff like that. I'm finding like new levels of like, oh, this was actually me still being an addict. You know what I mean? Well, first of all, not all addictions kill you. <laughs> That's that. true. Second of all, you could you could uh, take uh, you know you could take a scissor and cut cut the whole circle around this. And two words that describe addiction is instant gratification. Mm-hmm. So whether it's coffee in the morning that wakes my ass up. Or, uh, you know, back in the old days, what I was doing, or if I'm scrolling, because this is instant gratification, no? It's like when you post something and you see how many likes you got, that's instant gratification, you know? And and on the other side of that, people get depressed, some some people, uh, when they see, oh, I only got one like, you know? That's that's the danger of that. It it has to do with bad self-esteem, which some people already have to begin with. So... Uh, Which we all have to begin with. Dude. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I, I don't have bad self-esteem. I no, mean, there's I, not a lot of st- I, there's not a lot of stuff. There's not a lot of stuff I do well, but what I do, I do well. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? yeah. But um, uh, for example, if I'm on here, say, let's I'm on on Instagram, let's say, 
and something from like eBay, like a guitar shows up, right? I go, oh, look at that, 1967, blah, blah, blah. And I click on it to read more about it. Well, then it keeps coming back into your scroll. They know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know, seven or eight times of me fighting the urge, and then I just go, oh, PayPal. You know, it that's the same thing. It's instant gratification, and I have a whole wall of instant gratification to my right. So, so mm-hmm. the deal is, the thing is, is like, yeah, guitar it, acquisition syndrome. It's called gas. It's a common yeah, yeah. condition. I have, and you know, too. you you could only you can only play one at a time. See, but I yeah. use a lot. I I use them all. And, you know, like when it's time for me to go out, when I'm doing one of those gigs, see, I, I sit here with them and I go, let's see, who would like to come out tonight? Any hands? Show me hands. Who wants to come out? You know, and because they sit, they sit here because I, I do random events. Not a lot of them these days. I don't have a band. So I like to get the ones that don't get to go out, you know. Uh, and um, I think that... Uh, Addiction is a, um, a thing that you're right, that everybody seems to have, whether it's addicted to going to church or, or addicted to eating, you know, Oreo cookies or addicted to, you know, but it's all instant gratification. It's all like we want something to make us feel better, especially in the world as it stands right now. And listen, this is not the worst that this world has ever been. Talk to your grandparents mm-hmm. about what it was like, you know, with Pearl Harbor and, and you know, talk to uh, when I played with Roger Dalton, he would tell me stories about playing in the rubble in London when the Germans, you know, bombed London. I mean, this is crazy stuff we're going through now. It's always been like this, man. <laughs> you know, there's been yeah. crazy stuff since the beginning of time. I think that's a healthy outlook. I think that sort of doomsday can be another addiction, like the sort of uh, it's all doom and gloom and it's the end of the world. But talk to me a little bit about your journey into sobriety, if you don't mind, because it's been such a, you know, you make a lot of music about it mm-hmm. as well. And, I, and um, also just a little bit about like what it was like to sort of find fame and fortune and find yourself in that place with like a blue a blue Les Paul and sort of defining a certain genre of rock and roll really and touring around and then I guess getting into drugs and alcohol as a result and then finding sobriety if you don't mind walking through that story just a little bit okay so and this ties into what you asked me before about becoming this person so I'm um, um, you know I start playing guitar now we move to Flushing Queens for people in Australia. We moved to Flushing, Queens. Uh, and um, I start, and now I'm like 13, 14. So now in, in school, which is different than now, where everybody plays something, um, there were a couple of kids, right, that played guitar. This guy played the drums, you know, and we'd start these little garage bands. And um, we would, uh, you know, and this is the time of like, I remember trying to learn the entire Tommy record. So that's what we're talking about time-wise, you know, not well, of course, but we were trying to figure out Pete Townsend's chords. But but somebody would come over with a six pack. So, and this, now this ties into the addiction part of it. Because when I smoked my first joint, which was at 13, um, I, like I said, I was very shy, quiet. I wasn't afraid of the world, but I was apprehensive. How's that for a good word? And um, I smoked that first joint, and it was like, oh, <laughs> like, everything seemed better. 
And I was like, wow, this is good. As Bob Hope, Bob Hope used to say, how long has this been going on when he'd stand up there in the USO shows? Um, so, so like when the other kids said, you know what, I got to go do my homework. Um, you know, that's enough for now. I'd say, well, can, can we, can we smoke one more before we go? Can we just, can we do one more? So it was always about more. And, you know, and it was very innocent back then. I was just a kid and, and it was the seventies and most people my age were smoking pot. Um, and, and that just, that just continued on. Uh, so now I'm in Queens and I'm hanging out in the city at a very early age, 15, 16, phony proof, hanging out at some of the very famous rock and roll clubs that you read about now, uh, Max's Kansas City, the Mercer mm-hmm. Art Center, where they did that TV show, uh, you know, about rock and roll. I can't remember who did it. Uh, I think Mick Jagger had something to do with it, maybe produced it or something. Um, yeah. And so I was hanging out at those places. So the, everybody was older. And now this is when the New York Dolls were at Max's Kansas City playing all the time and playing these loft parties. And I was 16. They were maybe 20, you know. And um, so you're hanging out with people, older people, which means you're experimenting with other stuff that you have no experience with. People would hand you pills. You know, you're drinking beers and then you're drinking Jack Daniels and then you're drinking this. But it's and it's also all tied in with, you know, you talk about the sunglasses and the hair. I mean, the hair is my hair, but... (laughs) When I was a kid, 14, bro, I was going to get my hair cut with a picture of uh, a, a Rod Stewart and the Faces album. Could you cut my hair like this? You know? <laughs> I still do that. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and the first time a kid said to me, I used to bring an album with you from the black cards to get my hair cut. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's all it's all a cycle, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've kind of looked like this since I was 14. Like I was going yeah. into the city, going and there was some great st- uh, stores like Jumpin' Jack Flash, Granny's Takes a Trip. These are all names that are very famous in the rock history world, especially in New York. Granny's was an English company and they opened up a store in New York. And you would go there and you would buy, you know, you would get a date, you'd sell the New York Times over the phone. So you would have money to go buy a pair of platform boots, right? Uh, right. And, and like a, a velvet jacket and stuff and scarves. And tell you the truth, I'm still wearing the same clothes. Uh, you know, and you would go into the city like that, and and it was a very interesting subculture. Uh, it's interesting because what a that, time, uh, man! That you, that you landed there with I was like just the New York doll, uh, right? Yeah. And and it's interesting because I'm sorry that David Johansson, who was supposed to be on that show, didn't make it to that recovery I show. I wanted to talk to him about that. I said, man, we were at such a great moment in rock and roll history, especially in New York, because there was this subculture. Well, there wasn't a lot of people, a couple of hundred people, maybe. There were like three or four clubs, Nobody's, Max's Kansas City, the Mercer Art Center, a little later CBGB's. I wasn't really a CB's guy because I wasn't a punk. I was more of a uh, glam, you know, uh, Rock and Slade, roll. Slade, the faces, the stones, you know, sweet, status quo, that kind of stuff. And um, I wanted to talk to him about that. And I wanted to tell them that I didn't get them then. I didn't get the dolls then. You know, we used to laugh, like we, because I grew up on Free and uh, Cream and all of these unbelievable bands that came out of England. And the dolls were in the, in, on the entire opposite side. They were minimalistic. I mean, now I listen to them and I realize how great they were. 
but I didn't understand then because I was a kid and I guess I was a snob a little bit because I was into this other stuff, see, going mm -hmm. to the record store. That's another thing that doesn't really exist. You know, your favorite band had a record out and you would go buy it, right? You'd go to the record store. You, you and your friends would look forward to going to the record store to buy this. So the whole, this whole package, you know, uh, I still have all of my magazines from then. I, in fact, I brought them upstairs. I started looking through some of them. Circus Magazine, Crawdaddy, Cream. I have all my magazines. Uh, and, and I actually have all my baseball cards over there. So, when so when it started becoming a reality for you with Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, and you guys were a massive band having hits, Casey Kasem yeah. doing Top 40. Like, I mean, I, I was a kid then listening to that in Akron, Ohio, and I loved it. It was amazing. It still is amazing. You, you know, like that stuff rocks. What was it like when that started happening for you and you started seeing your dream coming true? And were you able to appreciate it or were you immersed too much in the chaos of it and the sort of youth of it, like youth is wasted on the young type of vibe? Or were you actually able to land in that moment and really Well, th thank God it? I have a lot of, there was a couple of steps, see? I'm playing in those bands. I start playing in original bands that played those clubs I just mentioned. I get a fine, uh, years go by, I get a deal with Tommy Mottola from uh, Sony Music, but he, he was a uh, Hall & Oates manager. And I did a record in, uh, with a band that moved down from Boston. We were kind of like the Raspberries. You can still find the record. It's called Susan. It was uh, the band. It was called Fallen in Love Again. And we toured with Graham Parker and the Rumor, see, the Squeezing Out the Sparks tour, which is my favorite record of his. So that was my first tour. So it was a little bit of a step, like I, I kind of got a feel, you know, I mean, they, people came to see them, but we had a song that was on the radio a little bit. So I, I got a taste of that. And we toured all across the country. Um, came back. I went out with GE uh, when the, Susan fell apart. And, and, we, and then we toured with Squeeze. So, you know, I, I'm already touring a little bit. I'm on a tour bus. So you kind of had Yeah. I mean, it was nothing like with the Blackhearts. That was a whole other right. conversation. So uh, I joined... Um, uh, uh, so my wife worked at, um, who was my girlfriend, she worked at uh, Lieber Krebs, which was a, a very famous management company. They managed Aerosmith, Def Leppard, Ted Nugent, uh, Humble Pie, like the end, the last Humble Pie, and, um, and other acts. And uh, Joan and, and her manager, Kenny, had like an office up there. It was, she just did her first Bad Reputation record, right? And they were selling it literally out of the car. You know, they, were, they, they, they didn't even have anything. They were just starting. And uh, at some point, Carol came home. I think we were living together already. So I'm talking about 80, late 80, early 81. And she said, um, do you know who Joan Jett is? I'm like, yeah, of course. I saw the Runaways at CBGB's. You wanna, would you like to go down and play with her and go into the studio and fool around with her a little bit? I'm like, yeah. Um, because what happened was after Susan broke up and I come back from G.E. Smith, I was trying to figure out what to do next. I was really good friends with Steve Marriott from Humble Pie. Um, and that was one of my favorite bands when I was a kid. So we were hanging out. Um, he was talking about maybe me joining Humble Pie, like, like a version of it at the end. He, he, he took me under his wing, kind of, and we spent a lot of time together. John Waite just left the babies. He came from England, moved to New York. He's starting a solo career. So somebody... When Chrysalis Records hooked me and him up because they thought we'd be good together. And we wrote songs. We became really good friends. And then I got this, Carol said, you know, you want to go 
play with jam with Joan. I went down there. We got along great. Love the music. I joined the band. We go nice. in and we record the I Love Rock and Roll record. Now, part of it was already recorded with uh, Eric Amble, who's this wonderful guitar player and producer. He was the original guitar player before me. So there were a couple of things like, like uh, Little Drummer Boy was on there. He played on that. He played the lead on Crimson and Clover. And everything else was like me. But we basically, you know, I played on those tracks and then we recorded everything else. And we hit the road playing clubs in, in, a, in a Winnebago, bro, you know? Right. <laughs> like everybody stuffed into a Winnebago. I Love Rock and Roll comes out and the song starts to climb the charts. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in, I'm involved in drinking and drugging by then, you know, I mean, everything mm-hmm. turned for me when cocaine came into the scene in the yeah. music business. Let's, let's just make it clear. Yeah. Everything's been around since the beginning of time. Like if you read books about Lucky Luciano being the first person to bring heroin to New York through Marseille, uh, and through France, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, cocaine was very big in Hollywood back in the 30s, 20s and 30s, opium. So it's always been there. And, but it goes around to different cultures, right? Yeah. Very Sigmund rich people Freud t- wrote the cocaine papers, like espousing how cocaine's a good idea. But yeah, and it, was me, in, me, it was in soda. It was in Coca-Cola. Yeah, let, in Coca-Cola, right. Let's pick this up on the other side of these words on TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, testified before Congress and talked all about the threat that China poses to us, and it was downright frightening. The CCP's dangerous actions... China's multi-pronged assault on our national and economic security make it the defining threat of our generation. Now, when I described the CCP as a threat to American safety a moment ago, I meant that quite literally. There has been far too little public focus on the fact that PRC hackers are targeting our critical infrastructure. Seemingly everything we need to survive. Our water treatment plants, our electrical grid, our oil and natural gas pipelines, our transportation systems, and the risk that poses to every American requires our attention now. And get this, we even have a time frame for this impending disaster. The budgets that emerge from discussions underway now will dictate what kind of resources we have ready in 2027, a year that, as this committee knows all too well, the CCP has circled on its calendar. Oh, we have three years to neutralize this existential threat. Don't you feel better? I don't. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday right here on TNT. Many pollution sources can affect the air you breathe. From power plants and vehicles to dust and wildfires. Knowing more about local air quality can help you protect your health. If you're thinking about buying an air sensor, EPA has a series of videos to help you get the most out of it. Learn how EPA collects and uses regulatory data, how EPA communicates health messaging, and how to interpret the readings from your sensor. Visit epa.gov air sensor toolbox. Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. 
so much to talk about with Ricky Bird. We're back. He's going to finish the story he was telling us. We were we veered into yeah. Sigmund Freud and cocaine, we but uh, we were talking about the Black Hearts in early days. The point I was trying to make was the point I was trying to make was when um, co- I got to a certain age, uh, and when cocaine came into the picture, added to Jack Daniels pills, whatever else anybody has, you know, and. Uh, that turned that's that's where the circling the drain started see yeah and that was that was around 79 80 is when cocaine sort of hit the music business again you know from the jazz era again and um and and that and that was it so so we we um and i almost died in 83 on tour with joan it's a a whole long story but I, i collapsed my lung from being a bad boy and um that was in 83 Opelika, Alabama, and I kept using until 87, and I got clean in 87. And yeah, the whole Joan Jet thing was, you know, I'm grateful for it. It was unbelievable as a kid that sat in the room, you know, looking at the back of record company, you know, vinyl, looking at the pictures in the back and playing stadiums all over the world and opening for everybody. I mean, we played with Queen, opened for like 70,000 people in England. And like, I mean, yeah, we played Shea Stadium in New York, man. You know, and that's I, incredible. And after the Bronx, we moved to Flushing. So that was a, a beautiful experience. You know, I, 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 me and Joan were like brother and sister. You know, we went on. We just had a great time. It was a really wonderful thing to be able to do what you wanted to do, you know, as a kid. And then I left that band. I left the Blackhearts in uh, 91. I came back for one VH1 special later in the 90s. And then, I, like I said, I went out with uh, Roger Daltrey. I did a record. We did some uh, radio. We did a radio tour and some TV. Went out with Ian Hunter. Um, uh, I toured Scandinavia and England with Ian Hunter. And then I spent a long time trying to figure out what I sounded like. Put together bands. Never quite, never quite made it. You know, it, it could, I couldn't. It was just like really bad stones. You know, like I couldn't figure out who I was. Uh, and then I started to, and then I did my own uh, first solo record in 2013 called Lifer. Now I'm getting closer. Now I know what I sound like. Um, and, and I think my, my goal with records is I want to make music that excites people. Like I, I, I make records that would excite me as a 13 year old. You get that? Yeah. Like, like like a lot of ear candy, like I like doing stuff that that excited me. So that's what my records are. I'm just, I'm not trying to recreate the wheel. I play rock and rolls, a little bit of soul music on the side here, you know, a little bit of glam over here, but it's, it's all rock and roll. So we had Lifer. Then I started to do, which is too long of a story to get into, is um, I, I got involved with doing recovery music. I started doing recovery music groups at treatment facilities around the country, and and speaking too. Uh, and like I said, I'm 36 years uh, in recovery now. Um, so I would go around and I would do, so I needed songs. So I started writing these songs and that became the first recovery record, you know, straight up rock and roll, some ballads on there, but called Clean Getaway. That came out in 2017. Um, and I would take those songs and I would go around to these treatment facilities and I would play these songs to the clients and I would bring a stack of CDs and I would give it to them to take home with them so they could take the music home with them. And then nice. um, it, it came time for the second, what do we do next? I started working and I found that I couldn't write anything but recovery songs at that point. <laughs> I still had a bunch of that. So I wrote the songs for Sobering Times. And that came out in 2020, I think it was. 2020. 
Yeah, that's the Sobering Times record. Uh, and that continued me doing these recovery music groups and this and that. And, and the beautiful part about this is, to this day, people find me on social media or they go through my website, rickybird.com, shameless plug, um, and, and, they, and they tell me that certain songs they name help keep them clean on a night when they wanted to go out and use. And as a songwriter, you can't ask for more than that. And as somebody in recovery, uh, it's like hitting the jackpot. Like That's amazing. That's a something rock that, and roll 12th step. Can you yeah, do a song for us now, Ricky? Can you do one for us? Give us an example. I'll pull one out. Let's do, I'll do a, like a bluesy one. So this one I wrote with, um, how do I hold this? It's so, so weird playing in this little space here. This is my 87 Martin here. Beautiful. And talk nice. about addiction. I talked myself into getting this because I got clean in 87. And I saw this on eBay and I said, <laughs> yeah, I got to have it. <laughs> so you get my point. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how that work? So I, I wrote relate this with, to that way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wrote this with Emily Duff, who's a great singer here in New York City. Uh, we, we did it. We, I think we did it by phone, if I remember correctly. It's called Ain't Gonna Live Like That No More. And when I would do this picture, we're in a treatment facility. I'm sitting in front of, let's say, you know, I would do the girl's side and the guy's side. But let's say I'm sitting in front of the, the guy's side, see? Um, and there's like guys with tattoos on their neck and this and that. And I sing the song. And at the end, I would get them to all sing and be like 70 guys in treatment all singing i ain't gonna live like that no more and that sort of puts the hair up on your arms right all right nice. let's see what i do this do a messy basement version <laughs> lady on the tiger what's behind the door i know one just might kill me but i got to get some more Devil's dealing aces cause he knows just what you need To keep you in the alley begging bargains on your knees But I ain't gonna live like that No more, no more I ain't gonna live like that No more, no more Hell is living for the need and the score no, I ain't gonna live like that No more, no more No more, no more, baby Listen Working hard at nothing, just fixing for a hit Crawling from the consequences, swearing this is it Alive, it gets alive, the truth is laying low my bullshit stick with every trick to get me where I got to go But I ain't gonna live like that No more, no more I ain't gonna live like that No more, no more Hell is a living for the need and the score No, I ain't gonna live like that no more, no more. No more, no more. I'm circling the drain. I can't tell the pleasure from the pain. This ain't my fate, baby. I'm going to get on the straight now. 
coming to, it's 5 p.m. I woke up three times today. Lord, grant me the serenity to shake this pain away. I'm cold, tired, and need some strength to get me off the ground. I pray you help me turn this down and dirty life around. But I ain't gonna live like that. No more, no more. I ain't gonna live like that. No more, no more. Hell is living for the need and the score. No, I ain't gonna live like that. No more. No more, no more. And I'd say, say it to me, baby. I ain't gonna live like that. No more, no more. Live like that, no more, no more. I ain't gonna live like that, no more, no more. No more, no more. No more, no more. No more. That's great, man. When yeah. you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you ain't gonna live like that no more. It had even a vocal sound effect. Of, you don't hear that often, folks. And then that middle eight yeah. section was like that. That middle eight section yeah. or whatever that was 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 awesome too, man. I'm circling Thanks for the drain. That. I can't tell the pleasure from the pain. This ain't my fate, baby. I'm gonna get on the street. So you can imagine at the end when I'm saying, sing it, man, let me hear it. And I go, testify. And you get like 70 people in treatment going, I ain't gonna live like that. Pretty cool. So yeah, that's that. And uh, being and, of and, service, that, that's a big deal, isn't it? And marrying the sort of uh, spirit of music and the spirit of inspiration with being of service, that's a pretty high-end goal, I would say. Well, yes. And in the world of recovery being of service is one of the things see because we we have we have this low self-esteem issue right and there's nothing that makes you feel good about yourself like being of service mm -hmm. like when you help somebody else it takes you out of your stuff see so it's 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 part of the recovery process is is helping somebody else i mean i always look at it like there's this hallway see this dark hallway and there's like people caught between denial and surrender you know, and it's my gig for somebody that's got like, you know, decades in recovery to reach in and pull them out. Like I can't get anybody sober. I could show you where to go though. I could turn you onto some stuff. You know, I can make some suggestions, but I can't make you clean. You gotta want to be clean. But yeah, you know, I'm from Akron. I'm from the birthplace oh, of yeah, AA. That's like, like the the like Dr. Bob and Bill Dr. Wilson. Dr. Bob's house, man. Yeah, I I've been there. I've gone there with my yeah. dad. I'm going to call out my dad. He's also sometimes a mess. <laughs> Sorry, it cracked me up. But, uh, but uh, Yeah, I call it I call it because of the whole, uh, you know, I, I go to community support group meetings. That's the way I look yeah. at it. You know, I call it that. 
But but the now thing listen, is, uh, let me ask uh, you, you know, this though about about uh, God though, because that's the higher power part of it. You have to sort of turn your will and your life over to a power greater than yourself. And and a lot of times in the rooms they'll say that can be a light bulb or that can be group consciousness because a lot of people have a problem uh, surrendering to God and all, and the problematic word that God is for just about everybody. Do you have a problem with that? Do you have faith in God? Has has that has this been a journey of faith or do you more more subscribe to the sort of group consciousness is the higher power thing? Yes. Uh it started out differently because I was just, I had the gift of desperation. So like, you know, I'm, I've never been afraid of the word God. I, I mean, I wasn't brought up like that. Like I don't believe in certain things. Uh, and I, I consider myself agnostic at this point, but, but, the, but the point being is I believe that there's a universal power that we could all subscribe to and, and keep our sides of the street clean I mean, I didn't have a white light experience. Like if you read the history of, of Bill W, like, you know, there wasn't like this moment. The, my moment was standing in front of the mirror at two o'clock in the morning and going, dude, this is not going to end well. <laughs> I mean, I swear that's exactly what I said to myself after partying all night. Uh, you know, you wanted to look like Keith Richards? You're getting close, my friend. You know, uh, so, so that was it. And then I started going to community support group meetings. The, the, I want, I want. I want those meetings to be all inclusive. I don't want to scare anybody away. And, and you know, Bill, Bill W. later on in his life when he wrote for this, there's this magazine called The Grapevine. And, and he wrote articles mm -hmm. about that, how he might have been a little too strict at the beginning about certain things. I think yeah. you take suggestions, man. Like I've been around so long that you see people that believe in this and they do great or they believe in this, they still don't do great or they don't believe in this and they do great. It's like, just don't drink, go to meetings, you know, yeah. helps, helps. Listen, man, else. I want to talk to you for hours, but we only have two more minutes and I want you oh, to promote oh, oh. your new album and talk about the little Stevie, uh, record deal and everything like yeah. that. And so I hate to cut if it anybody off. Wants to talk, if anybody wants to talk to me about this recovery thing, you can find me on social media and, and message me. I'm always willing to talk to somebody that's looking for some, that's struggling. Mm -hmm. um just wanted to make that i comment. might hit but, you uh, up <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not so, struggling uh, though but anyway so uh yeah i'm signed to little steven's label wicked cool records i love little steven thank god he loves my music i had three singles out last year glamdemic blues alien and luann uh i i signed with them first to, to, i said yeah i don't want to do any more records there's no use in doing a record let's just do singles like tommy james in the 60s now all of a sudden I've got like 14 songs, so we're planning the record, right? I just nice. had uh, January 12th, I had my latest single was out now. It's called Rhapsody in Blues, one for Jeff. It's an instrumental tribute to Jeff Beck. I just did a video for it uh, two days ago, so we're getting that, put, editing that. And uh, we're working, I'm getting close. You know, if I could hand the record in end of March, then uh, maybe in the fall the record will come out. So that's what I'm doing cool. now. Ricky, and, uh, and tell everybody where to find you, man. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been an honor to talk to you, and it's been fun. I hope you had fun, too. I did have fun. You could find me here in this basement like De Niro and King of Comedy. <laughs> <laughs> doing a talk show. Well, you are doing a talk show. Doing a, doing a talk show. In my no, you, you, go, 
You can go to rickybird.com. It's, it's got all the information you need. It's got, I got a ton of, if you like rock and roll photos, man, I'm really big on putting up all my photos from the, my checkered past, you know, nice. all the people I've played with. It's all, everything's on there. You can actually, you can go to the store and, and pick up records. Hey, all download right. rickybird.com. Download music. Don't just stream it. Download. All right. Keep listening, everybody. TNT will be right back after these words. 